Thanks for listening to the First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco Sermon Podcast. We pray it is a blessing to you and that it brings glory to our Heavenly Father. You can learn more about us by visiting us online. Just go to www.firstpresbyteriansf.org. Today's sermon is from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 9 through 14. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body was destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Good morning, and welcome to another Palm Sunday in lockdown. We are now observing it yet again. This is our second time now, so we don't have palm. We don't have little palm branches to, to, to wave around, and we don't have all the, all the little things that we love to do. Almost like I'm trying to shrink this here. That we love to do in observance. And you may be wondering, though, uh, you know, Palm Sunday. Now, if you don't know the story, the story is uh, the last week uh, right before the cross. And, and Christ uh, uh, begins to move with so much intention. It, we get the sense, uh, there's a quote, this is a quote we just read when we were reading, uh, when we were reading uh, the, the uh, call to worship. From Zechariah chapter 9, see your king comes riding on a humble, on, on a donkey. And, uh, and so it, 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 there's a scripting that's happening. And, and it's almost as if every, everything at this point is becoming crystallized uh, to, to show us, to reveal to us the almighty plan and, and, and the sovereign intention and the, and the careful the careful. Uh, uh, sovereign choices that God has made to rescue us as his people, to save us from our sin. Now, what I wanted to do, though, is that the vision of, of Christ coming, now this is a vision, by the way, from, um, uh, it's like an inaugur- It's like an inauguration, uh, uh, like we would call, we don't do this in an, our inaugurative events. When a president becomes a president, he doesn't proceed like this. The, but in the ancient world, it was very common for a king to proceed and to, and to kind of go through the entire capital city with uh, with praises being heaped on him. Now, Christ's 
procession. Oh, and it's called sometimes called an ascension. There's a whole psalm that's dedicated to the ascending, the ascending of a king. Uh, that, 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 that this ritual here has a, has a strange flavor to it, doesn't it? Because it isn't, it isn't a mighty conqueror. Christ is not on a on a white charger. He's not, he's not, he doesn't look like some sort of tremendous victor. In fact, he is on a donkey. It's, it's, a, it's a humble position. It doesn't see, it's not, it's, it's strange. It's a bit mysterious. And so I went to overlay. I wanted to, I wanted to do something a little bit different. And, and I wanted to overlay uh, uh, the, the vision of Daniel from Daniel chapter seven with the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. I want to, I wanted, I wanted us to look at them both simultaneously. And I wanted to, the, us to look at them as different perspectives to give us the real story, the, the story behind the story. And, and, and so we can unpack these transcendent, exalted visions of Jesus. We, we just read it, and uh, Natalie just read it to us. And I, I wanted to juxtapose them. I wanted to put them side by side. I wanted us to overlay them in our minds, in our imagination, so that our faith can deepen. Because, because there's something, these, these stories, this, this vision from Daniel here, which is so mysterious, which we're going to unpack today, or we're going to seek the Lord to open to us today by the Spirit. Please do that, Father, and, and through your servant. And, and so as we do this, I'm hoping that 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 we'll 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 gain some insight, some some wisdom about the real story, the story underneath the story, the story behind the story, and the transcendent vision. These 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 glorious visions of the ancient of days have a purpose, and they have a purpose to take the story of Matthew 21, which happens. These these are separated by nearly 600 years, 700 years of time, 600 years, I guess. About five, six hundred years of time. That, that these are actually talking about the same events. They're talking about the same work of Christ from different perspectives. And, and different perspectives are important for us to have. You know, in the Bible, when we have these different perspectives, we gain insight and wisdom. And uh, and so I want us to I want us to draw, I'm hoping that God will draw us into this vision. And 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 I hope you're listening to it because it's it's fantastical, and there are parts of you are probably wondering, what the heck is this about? Or what is the point of these visions? The exalted, transcendent, glorious vision. What is the point of it? And it's always about giving us the real story. And the real story is what? Our God is a consuming fire. And, and, and we're going to look at this in, in three parts. Uh, because our God is a consuming fire, we must run to Jesus, our mediator, the one who's presented. We'll take a look here. And because our God is a consuming fire, more than that, we must repent in awe of God and his judgments. And because our God is a consuming fire, we must not be alarmed or confused by the conflicts around us. And this is this is the way this story. Let's, let's unpack it, and, and and let's hope. I hope we can explain it. And and I hope you you're listening. I probably sometimes when uh, before you before you hear a scripture read, especially one like this, it's a good idea to kind of close your eyes and do and just imagine. I looked, says Daniel, and and thrones were placed. Wow, what's thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days takes his seat. What does his seat look like? 
His seat was thrown, oh, his, you see his clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head white but pure wool, but his throne was what? Fiery flames. So his throne is flames itself. It's like on fire. Look at it. And this throne has a unique characteristic, uh, one that Robin, Robin uh, over at Laguna Honda, Robin's familiar with this. Its wheels were burning fire. So God has a throne with wheels. What does that sound like? It sounds like a sounds like a wheelchair almost, doesn't it? And the next time you're sitting in a wheelchair, Robin, remember God took a throne like like the one you sit in sometimes. And many of us will sit in one day. And so, and this picture here though is from Ezekiel, and that was seventy years before this. Seventy years before Daniel had this vision, Ezekiel saw wheels within wheels when he saw God. What's the point of wheels? Well, God is saying, I am with my people in their, be- in their being mobile and displaced. I am with them in, their pl- in the places they are. And it's wonderful because the transcendent vision, this great, awesome vision, has this, has this lived, lived, lived experience just like us, just like his people. But look, the fire image continues. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. God is this God is a consuming fire. Remember, that's how Moses first sees the bush when he first meets God. He sees a bush that is on fire but not being consumed. Our God is a consuming fire. We're going to look at that. It's in Hebrews. It's, that, that is from Hebrews itself. But there's there's a feature here. You know, the feature here you obviously probably caught on is a God of judgment. It's kind of it's kind of threatening here, right? It's kind of fearful or or terrible, and and, and creating a sense. Well, what is who is this God? And this is where I want to juxtapose this with the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Take a look down here at verse down here at verse thirteen. There came one like a son of man. Now these son, the son of man references here in verse thirteen. Those references are references to um, are references to um, are references to Jesus. And 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 Daniel sees one like a son of man come to the and present himself to the ancient of days. Now, the reason I want to call your attention to this is because what's happening in front of the Ancient of Days? What's happening if you're presented to him? What's what's going on? There's fire everywhere, right? There's fire everywhere. But this one is presented is not consumed. Our God is a consuming fire, but this one, this Son of Man, he is not consumed. Who is he? I imagine that Daniel's like, who is he? And, you know, again and again, who is he? It said in the Old Testament when these visions of one like a son of man, who is he? Well, we know who he is. And this idea, this is this eternal place, this eternal kind of transcendent vision has a purpose. And that is to, to, to tear away the veil. Because in the, in the humble moment of Christ on a donkey, the humble moment of entering Jerusalem, a hum- humility that will go to a cross where he's, he's, he's crucified on a trash dump. That is the same event that's being described here. Yeah, it really is. Christ even said, remember, it was his glory that he died. Look in verse 14. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And it was to his glory. We looked, saw it again and again in John. 
And so the transcendent vision is meant to give you the story behind the story, to give you a new narrative, to give you a new handle on what's really going on. For Christ had entered, it says in Hebrews 9, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself. And that's the moment. See, Daniel sees it from one vantage point, and then we can see it from the other, the humble vantage point. Now, uh, the reason I'm so excited about this is this is kind of a, you know, D Daniel's in the same place that we are. Uh, you know, uh, you know, to be on to be in exile like they were in, in Babylon, and and they they had gone through seventy years of COVID worship. Can you imagine being on lockdown for seventy years? That was effectively what they were experiencing. They had been removed from their own temple. They couldn't go to their place of worship. Neither can we. And 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 their and their sense of isolation, of frustration, of drudgery, of fear, of of, of you know of, of this this. Of, of life that just doesn't have any meaning must have been so powerful. A sense of shame and guilt and, 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 and isolation from God and separation from God. But what's the, goal, the gift of the transcendent vision? It's to proclaim something new, something beautiful. So God's presence with his people, he's on wheels. His presence is with them, he's for them. And the one like a son of man. Now, one of the things this begins to teach us now is what the whole kingdom's about. If To become a Christian, you need to know this. To walk with Christ, you must know this. The way up is the way down. Yeah, that's, you know, it, it, Christ's glory existed in his humility. <laughs> so Christ goes down, it, you know, this, this, this riding the donkeys going down. It's not, it's not a lifting up. He, it, it's, 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 it's humility. It's, it's a humiliation that ends up in, in, in an awful execution and torture. But in that descent is his ascent, you see. And, and so there's, that, there's a heavenly dimension behind the story, even behind our story right now. And even as we're experiencing a sense of desolation, isolation, fear, uh, depression, uh, Oh, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Are you paying attention? Because in these very moments, in the very stuff that we're struggling with, is the stuff of God's glory. In other words, we're being presented a glorious opportunity. The way up is the way down. I, I invite you every week, I invite people who listen to this to give their lives to Christ. And the only way you can give your life to Christ, though, is by going down. By, by humbling yourself and admitting that you are a sinner in rebellion against him, that you have refused his ways because you want your own ways. And even though you've heard and, and heard again and again and, 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 and can see the truth of it, you've been unwilling to humble yourself. And the only way to come into God's glory is what? Is to admit who you are, what you are, and what you've done, and how you need a Savior. You need a Christ who it can be presented to that throne of fire, and the fire doesn't consume him. He consumes the fire. He is the substitute and the sacrifice for sins. Take a look here at Philippians 2, 5 and 9, because this becomes the paradigm for how we are called to serve and love each other. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be held on to but emptied himself 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now listen to this, because this is what's happening in the vision. Therefore, God has what? Highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Look, 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 look here. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Down there in verse 14. Do you see it? You see, it, that this vision is the is is the spiritual and transcendent picture of what of what Christ did and of what we do, of how we live and how we're called to live. The way up is the way down in the kingdom. We are to live, we are supposed to be outperforming each other in, in acts of service, in an attitude of service and humility, because we consider others better than ourselves. And we're kind of there's this glorious ethic in the kingdom that comes to light and springs to light, and that Christ himself embodied for us. And so we do not fear these things. We not even fear being a servant or being thought of as a servant. Uh, uh, because what do we have to fear? Uh, and because we are imitating Christ. And so we're becoming, a, in this beautiful way, think of this, we're becoming a part of a transcendent story. And there's another story in COVID. There's another story going behind this of us, even as we're being humbled as a church or humbled as people, of Christ aiming at glory and not missing, even in our suffering, even in our ignominy and, 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 our, and, our, and, our, and our humiliation. Do not fear. For we are a part of the way up being the way down. And we need to juxtapose the humility of our story with the grandeur of the vision of the ancient of days and the Son of Man presented before him. But let's go on. Let's go on because there's more use to this vision. The vision has all sorts of ways of communicating to us. And the second use of this vision is because our God is a consuming fire, we must repent in the awe of God, in awe of God and his judgments. You notice this is about judgment. It says there's 10,000 times 10,000 standing before him in verse 10. And, and, it's, and I assume that those are the ones being judged. Those are the ones, uh, there are thousands of thousands serving him. And then we're, we learn in the New Testament that angels help with the judgment. They help with gathering those who will be judged and putting them in their proper places. The court sat in judgment and the books were open. Are you familiar with this image from the Bible? Are you familiar with this, this, this analogy? You know, we you know, wonder, uh, are there really books in heaven? Well, you know, with, with the update of media in our generation, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe, God, uh, maybe God will use uh, video. The court sat in judgment and the books were open. The videos were played of our lives. The, the story of, of our lives is played and played out. And so we must all give an account. And, and the, the purpose of the transcendent vision this, uh, and this, the guise of consuming fire is to get our attention, to get our attention, to get us to reckon with who and what we are. If you don't know Christ today, this is meant to get your attention because it's offensive to many people. When you hear that God is a judge, this generation hates that teaching. And even in the church, we don't use it, but we ought to use it because it, because it's a, it not only is it, a, it's the feature behind, behind, um, behind the humility even of Christ. Here, here, if you go to the story of the triumphal entry, you go to the story of the triumphal entry. Do you know what Christ does right after he humbly rides in on the donkey? 
he goes into the he goes into the uh, into the uh, courtyard uh, of the temple, and he he puts together a whip, and he begins to drive out the money changers. He begins to purify his house. Don't confuse Christ's humility or mistake his humility for a lack of him being and embodying the judgment of all mankind and your judgment as well. I urge you, if you don't know Christ, to run from judgment today to his mercy because judgment is coming. I, um, it is inevitable and the books will be opened. Um, this image of books is very rich in the Bible, but this image of judgment, I want to capture it. Um, uh, I remember, I, I, I thought of this, and this many things is kind of silly, but there are different streets in the city where you can park, but you can't park between 3 and 6 p.m. Because between 3 and 6 p.m., those streets become thoroughfares for getting out. 6th six, six, uh, six Street, down, downtown's like this. And if you're down there between 3 and 6, you'll see four tow trucks and probably five or six ticketing trucks. And they're all a little ticketing, those little ticket trucks are going down, and all the and the tow trucks and all their little yellow lights are flashing. And what are they doing? One by one, bam, bam, bam. They're towing everybody, everybody. And that's this idea of God's judgment being so inevitable. Bam, bam. It just comes. The, the books are open. The books are referred to by Christ. He talks about rejoicing that your name is written in the book of life. But it's referred to referred here in, in Revelation 20. Let's take a look. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. See, there are different books, books of records and books of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. It's, re it's really odd. You see this a lot right now and so in, 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 in our political scene where, where people's uh, Facebook accounts or, or Snapchat, or whatever the accounts they have from 10, 15 years ago are brought, are dredged up, right? to reveal things they said or things they did or things they liked or things they approved of or gave thumbs up to. And people are judged and you get a sense. I remember as a kid, we didn't, we didn't have the social media kind of, of, of record to be referred to. Uh, but we have, we, I remember as a kid when we were in high school, you, you would hear these little murmurs in middle school and high school. You know what? That might go on your permanent record. And I remember as a kid, always picturing this file that said all these bad things about Chris. <laughs> Chris is this, Chris, you know, your permanent record. And there was like, somebody's keeping track. Somebody's keeping track of me. And, and you were feet and, and kids would talk about it. You know, be careful. That might go on your permanent record. Well, that is the kind of fear. That is the kind of attitude. That is the kind of uh, uh, perspective we should have before God. But, you know, it's interesting. Uh, 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 talking about God being a consuming fire and talking about his judgments is so unpopular in these days. People say, no, it's all about grace, Chris. You must always preach about grace. But they forget the usefulness of the vision. Look, it, look, look here in Hebrews 12. I underlined it and I italicized. For our God is a consuming fire. That's, that's the theme and title and sense of the sermon, right? Our God is a consuming fire. But look at how useful it is for a believer. If you know God, the vision of transcendence has a lot of usefulness to you. What does it do? It creates gratefulness. Look at verse 1, 28. Uh, offer to God, it creates worship. Look at verse 2, it creates hospitality. Verse 3, remembers those who are in prison, those who are suffering. Look at verse 4, it helps you help your marriage in honor and keep and, and keeping the marriage bed undefiled, uh, sexual purity, keeping your life free from the love of money and contentment. 
Those are the fruits of a heart alive and sensitive to the real story that God is a consuming. Our God, our Father, is a consuming fire. We live in that in a sense of, of we know Christ consumed that fire for us, but we don't dare presume that that means it's not important what we do, important how we live, important how we how we act, and we have it as a constant thing before us, for we know the true story of who our God is. Like those tow trucks, we know he comes for judge, he comes to judge the world. And the judge of all the earth, as Abraham said, will do right. And we stand in holy fear and awe. Look, reverence and awe, right there in that in that first verse of Hebrews 12, 28. Have reverence and awe. And that's what we're called to. This isn't servile fear. This is the usefulness of the vision that calls us to repent and turn to good things. If you don't like the word repent, and I guess it's not a popular word, I guess when I talk about God being consuming fire, maybe I should wear like a, a sandwich board and says repent, you know, and walk around. But let me tell you something. When you see those men downtown or men and women downtown with a sandwich board in front of the football or the, ba the baseball field or wherever, don't despise them. And maybe God appointed them to go do that. They have a they serve a function in our culture, for that is a true message. And it's a true story. It is the real story. And so you could meet God now in his humble his, in Christ in his humility coming into Jerusalem, right? But don't make the mistake of not thinking. There's another story behind this of consuming fire. Find God now while he can be found and enrich your worship with a knowledge of God's grandeur that will lead you to deeper worship. And, uh, and, and let, don't worry about whether it's popular or not popular in these days. I don't care anymore, do you? Our God is a consuming fire. Let us pivot in the awe of God and his judgments. Let's turn from them. And I thought the word repent could be placed with pivot, and that may be a helpful way of pivoting. We always talk about pivoting in the tech world, right? You're pivot here, pivot there. Well, that's really what we're calling. We're taught to pivot to worship. Praise him that he gives us that chance today. If you're hearing my voice now, he is giving you that opportunity to change, to, to turn to him for life, to turn to Christ as a mediator who consumes the fire. Amen. So let's come to our last bit of the usefulness. What is the usefulness of the transcendent vision? Well, actually, it gets very, very practical. There's some stuff in there. There's stuff we were reading. You're probably still scratching your head about wondering if Chris, Chris is ever going to get to this point. But because our God is a consuming fire, we must not be alarmed or confused by conflicts all around us. We'll take a look here. So in verse 11, it says, I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. We got a horn. Okay, that's one thing. A talking horn. This is kind of a comical picture if you think about it. If you, I don't know if you've ever seen those pictures of people when they're upside down and they, they paint little eyes on their chin and they talk in a video. That's kind of what I picture here, a talking horn. It's almost kind of, it's kind of comical. And, be, and it's meant to be. I think it's meant to point out that these are not really something to fear. But So you got a horn right there. And it says, I looked and beast, a beast. Now, I didn't read the whole, we didn't read the whole chapter. The whole chapter, if we were to read the eight verses before this and the other dozen or so verses that follow, uh, Daniel wants to know all about these beasts. He says he was very anxious about this horn and these beasts because they attack the Holy One. They attack God's people even. 
And, and, and in fact, Daniel is often, this book of Daniel that we're reading, claims to be written by Daniel. And it was. The Holy Spirit tells us it was. Don't believe the, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of men who teach that it couldn't have been written because it couldn't have been written by Daniel because it's so act these beasts there's four of them these beasts so accurately picture the cycle of empires that come you have Assyria then Babylon then Persia then Greece then Rome and that cycle those cycle of empires it predicts it beautifully each one is given a, a picture I think there's a leopard with four wings and a, a bear and a, and and and, and, and we, those are very foreign to us. But if you really pay attention, they're really not. Uh, I grew up in, in Philadelphia, right? And Philadelphia has the Eagles. <laughs> like we have sports teams. Chicago has the Bears. And, and the, these, 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 these pictures of animals that we're, we, we don't even think about it. It's a part of our culture. They're the same way in the ancient world. And to associate these empires with different animals would have made perfect sense to, those, to the ancient people. <laughs> and we're like, oh, yeah, they totally would have gotten it. Because it's the same way that we do the same sorts of things with our with our with our sports teams. Now, 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 and the, it, what is about this issue of a horn? Well, uh, issue, so beasts and, and beasts. The, the, these people, the, the empires are being compared to beasts, to animals. What about this horn image? Well, have you ever seen a, 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 a military insignia, a chevron, a little pointy bit, and it, and the more chevrons, they're called chevrons. The more chevrons you have on your on your lapel, it means the higher your rank, right? Well, they're horns. It comes from the uh, the uh, the actually comes the word comes from the uh, uh, a word for goat in French in middle middle in middle uh, in, I think ancient in middle, middle English French or something like middle French. Anyway, it comes from it's about it's, it's a horn because a horn which you know, an animal gore with is a symbol of violence. It's a symbol of violence. And this horn speech is a violent, and, and it boasts. It boasts great things against God. It's arrogant. It thinks it knows everything. It, 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 it exalts itself. And of course, that's what the kingdoms of this world do. And the kingdoms of this world are compared with beasts. And, and why, why beasts? Well, beasts really worked because beasts are unthinking, unreasonable animals. Beasts, these are fantastic beasts. They're terrifying. But look what God does. And I looked. The beast was killed. <laughs> there's, almost no, there's almost no competition here. God just does it. Look, look, look at uh, what he does with uh, and the rest of the beast. Their dominion taken away. God just, boop, takes it away. But their lives are prolonged for a season. And everything's for a season of time according to God's determination. What's the usefulness of the vision? Well, look. Daniel's a part of the people of God, and they're like a little little wood chip being tossed around by the motion and action of empires. The, and what these empires were, they were cycles of ethnic cleansing and genocide. That's what they did. They would just come through and they would say, we are better people, we have better laws, and we have better gods. And if you don't like it, we'll kill you. And that was it. And so the Assyrians did it. And, and after the Assyrians did, the Babylonians, Babylonians said, you know what? Our gods are better, and they came in, and our, our race is better, and our people are better people, and they came in and did it. And then the Persians go, no, we're better, and they came in, and then the Greeks go, no, we're better. And then finally the Romans came, no, we're better. And these are cycles of genocide and ethnic cleansing, one right after another. And Daniel's dismayed, and it's easy to get scared, isn't it? 
And the relevance of this story all of a sudden seems so poignant to me, so real. Do you know Christ never even addresses the emperors of Rome? You know why? Because they are, they are the wood chip. He is the king. I always wondered why, why Christ doesn't do more of a categorical analysis of, of the abuses of Rome, which were considerable. I mean, Rome was an evil, evil empire, an evil, ruthless empire. He dismisses them. Why? Because he is the king of kings. All people's nations and language will serve him, right? His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And the usefulness of the vision is to exalt God in such a way that we get the consuming fire will never be mocked. He will judge the earth. Now, why do I bring this up now? Why is this important for us now? So that we know, too, that our battle, our battle is not against flesh and blood. And, and so we have a handle. I want, I want to comfort you. It's very easy to get scared. There's a lot of racial violence happening in our, in, in our world right now. It happened in Atlanta, and it's happening around us. There's racial hatred happening, and white supremacy is on the rise, and, 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 and desire. And what is that? That's just another one of the beasts. It's just another one of these kingdoms where people are trying to trample others. You take that on one side, and then you'll take other, the other side. You know, there's a critical race theory and all these ideas that we're going to, we're going to right the wrongs of all, of all previous generations. What is that? It's just another kingdom that wants to cleanse and destroy in its own name. But we are a part of an eternal kingdom. And the tumult and the ascension and the cycles of taking power and abusing power and taking it and hating others and hating other races and doing all that, that's the way this world is. It was like that in the time of Daniel. It was like that in the time of Christ. And it's like that today. What are we to do? We need the transcendent vision, don't we? We need to know we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Cosmic powers are at work to encourage and fan to flame racist fires to hate others, or woke fires to hate those who hate others. None of that pleases God. Only God is the king. Fear him. And so we have the, uh, the, the, the usefulness of the transcendent vision is to fall down before God. And in fact, look, look at how, look at, look at, look at, look, if we see with these new transcendent eyes, we can, we can have, we can have, we cannot be so afraid. You know, uh, the idea that Daniel predicted all this stuff and, and all these images predicted it, it means that God is, look, God has predicted what's happening right now with COVID or what's happening with us culturally right now in this moment. It has been predicted. It has been judged, and it will be destroyed. Praise him. Praise him. And I want, I want you to even look at, I, I mentioned before, the horn and the beast. It's like, there's no, there's no conflict. God just does it like that. Uh, God, it does, it, and, and, and we, we will be, well, there's a couple of features we need to remember about this as we, as we look at it. First of all, as we, when we see with transcendent eyes, we don't have to be afraid anymore. 
And, and we, can, we can name these things for what they are, not be caught up in the stories other people are telling us about what's going on in the world, because the stories this generation wants to tell, oh, they're taking our nation from us, or, 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 we ha- or the story is there have always been oppression of racism, or no, no, we, uh, these are all false narratives. It's the transcendent vision that's true. Our God is a consuming fire. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but I want you to hear the comfort here. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. You hear the, you hear, you hear the transcendent vision? He was presented to the Ancient of Days, and their solely thr- the thrones are set up. Waiting from that time until his enemies, what? Should be made a footrest for his feet. This is why I, I love about God. He's not... All right, so... Get this. Jesus kicks back, puts his feet up. When you have that image, I'm going to kick back and put my feet up. That means that means you're not worried at all. And that is Christ's attitude about his enemies, our en- the enemies in this world and the kingdoms of this world. He's not even remotely upset. Oh, you see, he's upset. Sure, he's upset as, as a God of man, but he's not upset. And what I mean by that, he's not worried. <laughs> he's not concerned, is he? He's kicking his feet up because his enemies, they're done before the king of kings. Because to him was given dominion and power and glory. That's what, you know, when when Corey was praying, that's right in the Lord's prayer. We pray it every time for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And we're laying hold of of that transcendent vision, aren't we? That Christ has, that Christ is. Uh, And I I get excited about this. I want to claim and live in it. I want to live in this story because this is the true story. This is the real story. I, I, I was reminded of, um, of something that, that Sharon said this week in our time together. And, our, and, and she said, you know, I, I would quote, you, quote, quote, quote exactly what she said. I'm very proud of God. He really changed me. And I, I wrote that down. I said, can I write that down? And Sharon, you said that. I'm really proud of God. He changed me. And I guess when I when I have when I have this transcendent vision, when I see Christ humbly coming, I'm proud of God. He, he's just, he's so different. He's so amazing. He humbles himself all the way to the point of death. And then he see that he's a consuming fire of justice. I'm I'm so proud of God. I, it's such a beautiful place to be as his children. And we see the cycles of violence that come as empire or or as one group conquers another group or hates another group. And we're, we're, we're called to be witnesses to all this because they're, they'll eventually turn on us. They all will. Because we should expect suffering even. But what does Jesus do? He kicks up his feet. When he kicks his feet up to take a load off, empires fall. I'm very proud of him. I, I love Sharon's, Sharon's confession there, don't you? And, and we can enter into it in our worship and our joy. We can enter into this. We can have, be, have new boldness, new vision, new, new ability to see, new ability to know God, new ability to walk in fear of him and, 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 and pursue, pursue good things because our God's a consuming fire. And maybe pursuing Christ with new joy, knowing the way up is the way down. We can see the vision gets bigger and bigger and more beautiful as the Holy Spirit opens our hearts and our minds and our imagination to the, to the message of the transcendent vision. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, 
holy is your name. <laughs> oh, we ask you to come with your kingdom. Make your kingdom come. Make, make your will to get done. Yes, Father. And conquer the kingdoms of this world. Show us your power. Help us to, uh, to see with new eyes and with new vision what your kingdom is really like. How the way up is the way down. How, how we're called to, 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 to zealous holiness. And when we and we'll we will have that when we see you with reverence and awe. Help us to be free from confusion and alarm with all the terrible things that are happening around us. And this terrible, terrible nightmare of, of our culture at times. Let us not be afraid. We come and worship you. We come and thank you. We come and praise you as we come to the table. In Jesus' name. And because the kingdom and the power and the glory are all in Jesus. We pray in his name, right? Amen and amen.